We're in a series called Be Encouraged. It's a verse-by-verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, go with me to 2 Corinthians. But when you get to chapter 1, we're going to start there. But then I want you to go back and um, grab just a verse out of the Proverbs. This one, you're going to love this one. It kind of marries up really well. So 2 Corinthians 1. Have you ever walked in a room and someone's on the phone you only hear half the conversation? You think you know what's going on, but you don't. How many of you are in a full conversation and you're hearing both sides and you still don't know what's going on? Okay. So if you could be on a phone and you you only hear one side of it, things like, yes, oh yes, absolutely, sure we can. You're wondering, what are we agreeing to? Have you heard that? Because all you hear is the one side. Oh yes, I agree, twice a week is plenty. Or you hear six to eight pounds. Yeah, that's about right. Or recalibrate that before you begin. You have no idea what that means. Shut it down, shut it down, shut it down. You don't know. Is that reboot the computer or is that dump the loser boyfriend? You don't know which that is, but you know it's maybe both. All you know is the one side of the conversation because you don't have the other side. The book of 2 Corinthians is the other side of the conversation. And sometimes it's the reason people don't read 2 Corinthians as often is because he's answering questions, but you don't know what the questions are. And in fact, when you read 1 Corinthians, you get a few ideas of what some of the questions are, but you still don't know because there are pieces to historic literature we don't have. Much of it is lost, quite frankly. And so when you read 2 Corinthians and you get so little attention because we don't understand the context or the questions or the problems or the backstory, I thought, you know what, we just need to get the backstory. So here it is. Paul started the church in Corinth, which is a city in Greece, modern-day Greece today. In biblical terms, it was called Achaia, a set of islands on the Mediterranean called Greece. The city is called Corinth. Acts chapter 18 tells the story of the starting of that church. But Paul's job was to continue to plant more churches, so he didn't stay there. He was there long enough to get the church started, then he went on his way. And while he was on the road, he heard things that weren't good about the church in Corinth, some evil, terrible things they were happening. They had all kinds of relational problems, sin issues, selfishness, morality, legal issues, and pride hung over, was kind of smeared over all of it. The church was a mess. And so Paul wrote a letter, and he, went, he wrote the letter to straighten things out. May not have been his first letter, but the letter that we have preserved is called 1 Corinthians. And he writes to say, expel the immoral brothers, stop taking each other to lawsuits, stop gossiping, stop your pride, stop being boastful about who baptized you and who didn't and who you follow and who you don't. Get over yourselves, basically. That's 1 Corinthians, because life is messy. We studied that one last summer. Even when you come to church, church can get messy because life is messy. And so what he does is he does an adjustment on them, and it doesn't go well. In fact, it's painful because they don't like to hear what he has to say. You ever been to the doctor's office, and on the way out, he goes, oh, by the way, Lose 20 pounds. Have a good day. Have you heard that? Oh, by the way, no more dairy. You can't even be in the dairy aisle. You can't even walk down the dairy aisle. You just can stroll past and look down, but you're not allowed to go down the dairy aisle anymore. Oh. Really? Yeah, but ice cream, that's the frozen food aisle. It's not really the dairy aisle. So I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good to go. Yeah. Or if you've been to a, you get, you get a realignment and, and you're in more pain than before. You ever been to the chiropractor or maybe physical therapist and they're getting you back in health. Something's out of twist, it's, it's bad. 
and you're out of alignment. When they get you back into alignment because your body's used to being out of alignment, when they put you back in alignment, you go, that hurt. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yes. There's a special place physical therapists go when they die. <laughs> but you, you, you understand that realignment is there for your good. It's gonna be, you're going to have optimal health eventually, but on your way, it's going to hurt in the process. That's why you have to keep going back to the chiropractor. Why? Because you keep slipping that disc or keep slipping that back out of the shoulder or the neck. If you keep holding it wrong, it's going gonna, it's gonna to work its way back to the bad posture again. And what the Apostle Paul does is he tells them, you're in a bad place, I'm going to hurt you to get you to this helpful place where there's better spiritual health for you, but it's going to hurt along the way. That's the letter of 1 Corinthians. The believers didn't take it well because it was so painful, and he didn't want to ridicule them, and he didn't want that to be the mark of their relationship. If you're in chapter 1, look at verse at chapter 2, verse 1, just real quickly, he says, So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. Said, I don't even want to see you face to face because it's just too painful right now. I just need you to leave me alone. Any young mothers here? Don't touch me. Susanna Wesley, the mother of the Wesley brothers who wrote some of the greatest hymns of all time, had a dozen or so children. When she had had it with her children, she would sit, they lived in a one-room house. Can you imagine 12 children in one room house? Yeah. And we want to go back to the good old days. Okay. 12 children, one room house. When she couldn't take it anymore, she just needed time to herself. She'd sit down in a chair. She'd pull her apron up over her head. The children knew then, do not touch mama. <laughs> yeah. Just could not take it. And so Paul didn't even want to see them. Why? Because the visit was so painful. The letter he wrote was so painful. The message isn't received well. He follows up with another letter. Uh, we're not sure where that letter went, it, but, but he sends Titus, his younger brother in the Lord, who's a, a young preacher, he sends Titus to say, see how they're doing. And Titus says, actually, they're doing better now that you sent another letter. And, and so now that painful letter, it's coming good because now they're starting to listen. And now they're paying attention. They're repenting of their sins. And so there may be actually three or four letters. We're not exactly sure. We have two in, uh, that are inspired of God that were preserved in the scriptures. And, and the second letter of 2 Corinthians, this is maybe his third letter or fourth actual letter. Not everything that the Apostle Paul wrote was inspired of God. I'm sure he wrote grocery lists and to-do lists. Those weren't inspired of God. Those were just things that he had and he wrote. Um, you have, um, I, I have a file, you have a file, we have a file at home of things that our kids did, art, little art projects, little drawings and little happy Mother's Day or Father's Day cards that they hand wrote, right? You, you, can't, you can't keep all of them, so you keep what you know are the best. And if any of my children are in the room, I kept all of yours. Please do not talk to the other brothers and sisters, okay? Just, I, just know, you can't keep them all, right? And then uh, if, you have, if you've been a parent very long and you have a refrigerator and you, you put stuff up, it can only last so long because other stuff comes up, right? Eventually, some stuff has to disappear you know it not all of it's preserved so it is with these letters not all of them are preserved so he affirms his love for them and he says to them i i love you i want the very best for you but you have to know he, he doesn't he feels very conflicted because this is all part of the backstory they had attacked him they'd gone after his credentials they said he wasn't very good looking he wasn't he wasn't the best preacher out there he wasn't the most convincing he didn't keep his word if you don't have your word you don't have anything see 
And that's what made this thing so critical. That's why he had to defend himself, actually. And there were false teachers who had infiltrated the church and wanted to make it kind of schmooze with the culture of the day. And that's kind of what false teachers do. There are three things that false teachers really do, and these are not your notes. You want to put this to the side. Is they go after the message. They say, well, Jesus really didn't die. He didn't really rise from the dead. Or he really wasn't here physically. He was just here in angelic form. Or he really didn't rise from the dead. Or we really don't know where he is now. Or you have to not only obey Jesus, follow in personal faith, but you have to do X, Y, and Z. They add to the gospel. And so doing, you have credit that's of your own. And, and the Bible's really clear. You're, you get no credit of your own. If you receive Christ, it's totally by grace. Not anything that you do. So they try to change the message. Do you get that? And if they can't change the message, then they go after the messenger. They say, well, he's not as good of a preacher as that other guy. They start the comparison game. They had done that, in, and he had addressed this in 1 Corinthians. They say, he's not really an apostle. He's not as good looking. By the way, historians tell us, Paul wasn't very good looking. He may have had an eye disease, which would make it kind of homely to look at even. He wasn't the most compelling kind of preacher either. There are better orators of the day. But then they were saying, he doesn't keep his word. He's not, and the reason he didn't keep his word is this. His plans changed. Anybody had their plans changed? I'd like to come visit you. I can't get there. Why? Because the weather held me back, or the boats didn't sail, or we couldn't make the caravan. The plans change. It's not that you're lying. The plans just change. So finally, they would just say about the messenger, he doesn't have the mind of the Lord. So if they can't get the message, you go after the, the credentials of the messenger. And if that doesn't work, then you go after the ministry itself. They compare ministry to ministry, and they wish, well, you should see what they're doing down the street or up the road. or He baptized this many, and she's over there. And you can't believe it. When, when they're on TV, you can't, you, people really get healed there, which I always found that interesting. Didn't you? Jesus always seems to show up when the TV cameras are rolling. You ever wondered about that? Think about it for a while. Yes. It's kind of like fishing shows, too. I fished for an hour and gotten a nibble, but they always seem to get a nibble right at the end of the show on the fishing show. Why? To keep you coming back. That's why. Yeah. It's all made for TV, and that's exactly what it is, made for TV. And so they compare ministry to ministry, and, and in so doing... It knocks the wind out of the sails of the ministry. Now, here's the proverb, Proverbs chapter 26. And, and look at this proverb. This is so good. If you don't get anything from Corinthians, this may be worth the trip. Proverbs 26, verse 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. And without gossip, a gossip or a whisperer, a quarrel dies down. Without wood, a fire goes out. We all know that, don't we? How do you actually put a fire out when you have a fire? a fire in a pit you, you start to separate the logs right and then if you don't have enough water you separate logs it'll eventually go out without wood the fire goes out in other words the hot talk if you stop feeding it it'll die down without gossip without it and i love it because the new american standard english standard version uses the word whisperer i like that without a whisperer the quarrel just kind of fades. Do you get this? Most of the speculative type of talk would go away if the gossip would stop. And that's what the Apostle Paul had to deal with. Was Remember Charlie Brown's teacher? Did you ever hear what she said? Wah, 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 wah. And uh, it, it, just a side note here. Look this up on your own. When the 
children of Israel who were actually adults, we call them the children of Israel because they were the descendants of Israel, when they were traveling through the wilderness and they were on their way to the promised land, remember they disobeyed God? And it says when they, they didn't obey the Lord and then they began to murmur. Remember that word? It's the word for the cooing of the birds. That's what it sounded like. All together now, one, two, three. That's what it sounded like, only way more ugly than that. It came out like, I'd like to kill Moses. That was it right there. Had he done anything wrong? No, he hadn't. He's human, but they still came after him. And that's where the Apostle Paul is. Okay? So when he writes 2 Corinthians, he knows some of them don't trust him, some hate him, some are jealous of him, some wish they had a better looking guy, a better, uh, better order, but they have what they have. And if they didn't have the Apostle Paul, they wouldn't know Jesus because he's the one who brought them Jesus. Now, that's the whole backstory now to 2 Corinthians. Now, having known all that, how do you handle this when you walk into that kind of muck? How do you handle the misunderstanding? I give you three, he outlines it kind of in three ways in chapters, end of chapter one and into chapter two. And he basically says it this way. You have to do it with a clear conscience and with a clear conscience, you have to do it with a compassionate heart. Clear conscience isn't enough. You have to be clear in your conscience, but you have to have a great heart. Your motive has to be good. Your, your intentions have to be good, but you have to ask the Lord, how is the best way for me to say this? And then thirdly, you have to have a consistent kind of faith. You cannot be up and down in the faith. Has to be a rock-solid faith in Jesus who got us from hell to heaven. He can solve the earthly issues. That's nothing, because he can solve the hell issue. He can solve anything. Not gonna be a big deal for him. So let's dive in. Chapter, chapter, two, chapter one, verse 12. Um, Start with a clear conscience. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you. Get this, I, I'm this way in the world, out in society, and I'm this way with you. In other, in other words, I'm authentic, I'm real. What you see is what you get. It's the same person here, same person there, okay? Ourselves in the world and especially our relations with you with integrity, with godly sincerity. You know what, that could be our goal right there that we be people of integrity and sincerity and having done so, not rely on worldly wisdom. In other words, don't do what the world does. Don't think it's okay because the world does it. It's okay to back talk. It's okay to uh, slap or trash talk. No, you can't do that way. That's not godly. It's not wise. It's not a person of integrity. It's certainly not sincere. The word conscience is actually in Latin form, two words. Con, with, is, is the word con, and science is our word to know, or with no, and so it means, it says conscience, it's to know with. In other words, it's, it isn't the standard of the knowledge, it's to lay up against the knowledge, so you know the law of God, and you lay your mind up against, with, the knowledge of God, and it lines up. If it doesn't line up, then you know, mm, my conscience is going to be at conflict with the law of God. Any of you had conscience problems before? Just seven of us. Okay, next week we talk about being honest with ourselves. <laughs> You've had conscience issues before, right? Please tell me I'm not alone in this. I, seven of us are, right? It just has happened. And then you, then you, you stew over it. And you, you think about it. And you wish you said it this way or you wish you'd done it that way. Yeah. It's all of life because we're human. He says, it's my, my conscience is clear, verse 12. I want to live a life of integrity, of godly sincerity. I don't rely on trash talk. Okay, now having said that, 
He's saying, I, he'll, he'll even stop in 2 Corinthians. This is why this, this passage is so hard to get through. Because he'll even stop and he'll say, this is crazy that we've even talking this way. Because he's not the kind of guy to defend himself. He would just normally just let stuff go by. But he can't. Why? Because the ministry will fold if it doesn't. If, if his word goes down, the ministry collapses. It's an integrity issue. So you, when you have a clear conscience, you will live. He, he gives us a little bit of an insight what a clear conscience does. You'll live with a better understanding of the coming of the Lord. You'll live in light of the, of the Lord, Lord's coming. Verse 14. As you've understood with us in part, you'll come to understand fully that you can boast with, uh, of us just as we'll boast with you in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, I, I plan to go to heaven, and I plan to do it with you, and so I live in light of the fact that my ultimate judge is God. I stand before him, and we're glad that we're all there but I don't live for the applause of people. I live for the applause of heaven. This is eventually about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I live with heaven in front of me. But secondly, with, with a clear conscience, when I have a clear conscience, my motives will be pure. It's not, not just the idea that I'm headed to heaven, but my actual motives. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Verse 17. Or did I make my plans in a worldly manner? Did I say yes, no? No, yes? No. He said my yes was yes. My no was no. By the way, it's okay to say no. It's okay to say no. But yes, no, yes, no, yes, uh, that confuses people. And I say this to you as a, as a parent. As a parent, I, I'm speaking to you as a parent right now to say to you, it's okay to say to your children, no. It's all right, no. And then, and then the next one, what part of no don't you understand? No, be the parent. It's okay. Uh, uh, if you will be the parent with them as they're a child, then you'll have an adult friend. If you try to be a friend with them as they're a child, you're going to spoil the child, and, and they, will not, they will not recognize authority. They won't submit to authority, and you're, you're, you may make a tyrant out of them, someone who doesn't obey authority. You're going to be in trouble. So in a clear conscience, let your yes be yes. My no be no. Okay? And with a clear conscience, your goal really is to honor God. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among, us, uh, among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, he's not yes and no. In him it's always been yes. Get that? For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. There's no like, oh, I hope this one comes. No, if he said it's going to come, it's going to come. His word will come true. And by the way, that deals with the issue of the credibility of Christ. And that's what the false teachers would go after. They would say, well, Christ was a pretty good teacher. Or, in fact, we get that all the time. He was a pretty good prophet. No, he wasn't. He was a perfect prophet. He was a perfect teacher. Because if you have something less, you don't know what's true and what's not. So, how do I approach this with a clear conscience? That clear conscience Helps me understand the coming of the Lord. Helps me understand that I'm pure before the Lord and I live really for the glory of the Lord in verse 23 and 24. I call God as my witness and I stake my life on it. Get this. He's saying my life is in this. That was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. In other words, if I had come to Corinth, it wouldn't have gone well. Get that? It, I spared you by not showing up face to face. It'd be too tough. I didn't come to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy. This is really important. This could be the whole sermon right here. Because it is by faith you stand firm. In other words, I want you to obey the Lord, not because I intimidate you. I want you to obey the Lord because you want to obey the Lord for your own faith. Do you get that? 
This is where, uh, you know, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. And the same thing goes for you and your household. That's why you pray your kids trust Jesus. You pray your grandchildren follow the Lord. You're going to say, the sooner they trust Christ, the sooner they're on the right track, the sooner they make issues of lordship and supremacy, they make their, the mind of Christ their savior, make, the, the sooner they make those kinds of decisions, the better the path's going to be for them. So he says, I, I stake my life on this. My alignment is with the Lord and nowhere else. So there you have this conscience issue. There's a second piece now, and it deals with compassion. Because that conscience by itself could look a little gruff, couldn't it? Could look a little stern. And so he says, out of compassion, I, I just I want to make sure you know that I am human about this. One of the members of the Corinthian church that caused Paul quite a great deal of personal pain. A man in the church, a young man probably, um, he went to bed uh, with his, we think it may be his stepmother. We're not exactly sure. It says his mother. We're thinking in those days a, a mom could die at giving birth. The dad remarries his stepmom. This kid grows up and takes a liking to And you're saying, my children are in the room. You should be talking and saying, this is why we have children's programming. You can usher them out and have a good time. And you're saying, but I have teenagers in the room. And anything you want to know about sex, just ask your teenager. They'll fill you in. Don't assume they know nothing. And this kid in the church is really cool. He's living with his mother or stepmother, and he's saying, I'm part of the culture. It's the way it is. It's the way we do life in Corinth, so get over it. And Paul said, no, he's an immoral man. You need to face that. Um, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 4, For I wrote about this out of great distress and anguish of heart, many tears. He said, I, I, I took this seriously. He's saying, I, I grieve over you with depth of, of love for you. Get this, I, I'm not harsh with you. I'm trying to be compassionate with you because love puts others first, okay? He, he knew his words would be hurtful, but he knew eventually they would be helpful, okay? And hurtful, well, and it'd be painful, but eventually these words would be uh, redemptive. And so that's this compassion piece. And then love seeks not only, not only to put others first, but it also seeks to help them grow. Keep reading verse 5. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he's grieved all of you to some extent. In other words, the reason we have this problem isn't anything I did. It's what the person did. It's the grief they instilled. And not to put it too severely, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority, that's sufficient. In other words, you kicked him out. That's enough. Don't grieve him to such a point that he can't recover. Okay? Paul knew he had to face the issue. Um, uh, the writer, author Warren Wiersbe put it so well. He says, there's a difference between hurtful and harmful. I like that. There's a difference between hurtful and harmful. This is painful, but as a parent, you, you understand it's painful to parent well, but it's not harmful. The good parent faces the wrong the child does and doesn't defend it or rationalize it. You call it your own, you call it out, and, and the parent that doesn't do that will raise a, eventually raise a criminal. Because they won't, they won't respect authority. So you speak the truth in love, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. But, but the phrase we use today, peace at any price, that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. And I can show you what peace at any price is. Peace at any price is East Germany. If you go back and read a history book, there was peace in East Germany. But it was a cold peace. It was not a truth peace. And not a righteous, certainly not a free peace. So love helps the people grow. Now, 
Right now, some of us right, would say, you know, this is so uh, entangled, Dave. This, this is just too much. Can't we just pray about it and let it go? <laughs> Anybody like that? Pacifist in the room? You're not going to raise your hand. Why? Because you're a pacifist. Yeah. Um, I'm not raising my hand because he'll call me out. I'm not doing it. Can I just pray and then hope the fairy godmothers take it away? Yeah, you can do that. And if you believe in fairy godmothers, that's good. I have some oceanfront property I'd like to sell you. It's in Iowa. Um, it's just not going to happen. You can't just pray it away. There may be a day you have to step into the trouble. So, love seeks to help this person grow, and love will forgive and then move on. Keep reading. I, I love this. You just keep, don't give up on the passage. Verse 10. Anyone, anyone uh, you forgive, I also forgive, Paul says. In other words, I'm not going to hold it over him. And what I've forgiven, if there's anything to forgive, because it's so entangled, I'm not sure what else is out there. I've forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. In order that Satan may not outwit us. By the way, that verse could be the sermon. Because Satan will outwit us. We have to be making sure that we are not unaware of his schemes. Because he is out to cause any kind of tangle he can to keep us from being grace-filled, joy-filled Christians who tell the great story of Jesus. So, you give this offender uh, the opportunity to make it right. And when you give them an opportunity, they can make it right. And then you move on in life. So you have a good conscience, you have a good heart, good compassionate heart. And then thirdly, third piece is that's the consistent faith. Faith, even when the plans change, chapter 2, verse 12. He says, I went to Troas, found the Lord opened the door for me. I still didn't have peace of mind. I, I couldn't get there. So I have faith in Jesus, even when I don't know the future. I have great hopes. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to get there. Even when the, the plans go off the rails, the Lord may be in that. Um, but then there's also faith, not only when I don't get my plans like I think they ought to be, but faith knowing that Christ ultimately wins. Um, verse 14, but thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. Yeah, in all this entanglement, it's like you're getting more tense. Like I need to go back to the Cairo because right now I'm so strained. My neck's tightening up. It's going to work down my shoulders, right? You ever been like that? You've been in a conversation and you start to tense up and then the next thing you know, you don't know why, you have a headache. And he's saying, you know what? You're losing perspective on this. Christ ultimately wins. We go into the triumphal procession and it's an aroma. I love that. It's an aroma of knowledge to him. Keep reading. Verse 15. Faith, regardless of what others choose, for, for we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. And about this time you're saying to yourself, I'm on one end of the phone and I'm only hearing part of the conversation and I'm not even hearing that much. What in the world is he talking about? When we follow Jesus, we're an aroma? What, what is that? I'll tell you. There's a context he's referring to here. And in Rome, whenever the Romans won, they always had a parade at the end of the, of the battle. And they would always march in all the captives right before they killed them. Okay? And when they would march them, they'd march them through town and they marched the prisoners of war through and the Roman army would be, oh, oh, oh. it was a loud, raucous kind of victory celebration and the priests would come through and spread incense. And to the winners, that smell of incense was the smell of victory. And to the defeated people, it was the smell of death. They knew death was not far, okay? Now, with that historical context of Roman Empire, now go back to verse 15. It'll make total sense now. 
For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ. In other words, we are the smell of victory. Don't get lost in this. Don't get lost in the entanglements. Among those who are being saved and those who are perishing, we're the smell of victory. And if they choose not to be victorious, that's their choice, not mine. Do you get this? We're headed to heaven. I'd love for you to come with me, but if you don't choose to go, that is up to you. I'm still going to smell the victory. Okay, you do this with a clear conscience. You do this with a compassionate heart, and you do this with with a consistent kind of faith. Now, why do we do that? Verse, uh, um, uh, go back to verse 10. I I need you just to see this at the end. I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan may not outwit us. He's saying this is so entangled. If you can just put this behind you and shut the door on it, we'll be better off because I don't want Satan to outwit us and I don't want to be unaware of the schemes. Now, take that and go back a thousand years to Proverbs 26. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there's no whisperer, the quarrel dies down. If you can shut the door on that stuff, your life is going to be so much better. So much better. So, you're going to be faced in the days ahead with divisive talk and rumor and conflict. Do it with a clean conscience. Know before the Lord what's right. Line it up against the truth. And then be compassionate about it. Be human about it. How would you want to be treated? And then as you do that, be consistent in your faith. And what will happen is this. You, you won't win every battle. You won't win, it just won't happen. You won't win every battle. But what you will get is this. You'll get the sweet smell of the satisfaction of the aroma of heaven. When we do arrive into heaven, that you did follow the Lord well, and you're on the victory side. And so we don't act like those who are losing in the battle. We act like those who are in, what's it say, triumphal procession, because we're headed to heaven. And that's the way Paul wanted the church of Corinth to march towards heaven. And that's how he wants the South Potomac church to march towards heaven as well. Let's bow together in prayer. You have been good to hang on through this uh, passage. This was a tough one, folks. And so um, this is good that you hung on through it and worked your way through it. So good on you for doing this. And I, I, for one, just say to you, I thank God for you. And in a brotherly uh, kind of a way, uh, my heart is kindly affectioned because of your value to hear the word, take it to heart. We don't want to lose the opportunity, uh, Lord, because um, when we read the words, Uh, We are not unaware of his schemes. We realize, oh my gosh, I didn't even know the devil had schemes. And when I read those words, I realize I'm in that entanglement right there. I've been caught. And so, Father, 
here's our prayer is that we would see clearly what's really happening to get us off target, off mission of accomplishing the great commandment and the great commission. And we know that that, that divisiveness it will take the wind out of our sails. It takes the energy out of the engine. We, it just drains the nutrients from our bodies. We know it. it. takes the joy from our emotions. We know it so well. So may we be the people we pray who have a clean conscience before you. I, I pray over these people today that you would create in us a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within us. Don't put us on the sideline. Don't put us on the shelf. And with clean consciences, may we always be compassionate to the people around us and be way more forgiving than is necessary because we are forgiven people. We know our own sins. And having been compassionate, Lord, may we be ever so committed to the faith to walk with you in triumphal procession to heaven. Bless and keep these dear people, we pray in Christ's wonderful name.